This evening, we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Nehemiah. With this as the focus, if you would, let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. As you make your way to the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, well, I just want to take a moment to remind you that Nehemiah was the man that the Lord raised up to lead the nation of Israel into a time of political revival. While it's true that Nehemiah was uh, raised in bondage there in Babylon, well, it's also true that the Lord chose Nehemiah to become the leader who was sent to secure the borders of Jerusalem and all for the safety of his people. Well, with this as the plan, I should take a moment to remind you that the enemies of Israel were deeply disturbed when they discovered that a man had come from Babylon in order to seek the well-being of the Israelites. And that's when the leaders of Samaria, Ammon, and of the Arabs, they created a military confederacy so that they could stop the people of God from building up the border walls there around Jerusalem. And you might not know this, but it's in a similar yet spiritual fashion that our enemy, the devil and his demons, they're determined to stop every Christian and every church from developing a defensive strategy which can actually protect us against the attacks of the enemy. With that being the case, we would all do well to consider the way that Nehemiah dealt with the enemy there in his days so that we might learn lessons from him on how we can fight the good fight of faith. Well, with this as the focus, let's consider the defensive strategy that Nehemiah used there in Jerusalem. If you would look with me there at Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll begin reading there at verse 1. Here we learn that it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now I want to stop right here. I want to consider how here in the beginning of this chapter, we're reintroduced to the two antagonists that Nehemiah first mentioned back in chapter two. And I should remind you here that Sambalat the Horonite was the governor of Samaria, which uh, again is the region of Israel just north of Judah. And then there was Tobiah the Ammonite, who is believed to have been the governor of Ammon, and therefore he was a high-ranking official who had been appointed by the Persians over this Transjordan area of Ammon. And as we consider the leadership positions of both of these men, there should be no doubt in our minds that they were both disappointed and they were both distressed by the arrival of Nehemiah. And the reason why was because Nehemiah was there to help the Israelites to rebuild their border walls around Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, notice again there in verse 1, here in Nehemiah 4, verse 1, uh, we learned that it so happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Now that word furious refers to a person who's become hot under the collar or enraged with anger. And the phrase very indignant, it speaks of someone who's greatly displeased uh, until they're provoked to wrath. It was from this heart that was filled with furious and indignant wrath that Sambalat began to mock the Jews. Now that word mock refers to the disrespectful ridicule and the irreverent insults that are declared by those who want to dishearten those who are being mocked. 
And with this as the goal, Sanballat scorned the Jews by presenting five condescending questions. Notice again there in verse 2. Here Nehemiah tells us that Sanballat spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Question number two, will they fortify themselves? Question number three, will they offer sacrifices? Question number four, will they complete it in a day? And and fifth and finally, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, as we consider the way that Sambalat presented these condescending questions to the soldiers who were with him, uh, we can see how this angry antagonist was trying to convince the Jews that there was no way that they would be able to secure their borders against the armies of the enemies. He, he refers to them as feeble Jews and unable to fortify themselves. And, 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 and then the question, will they offer sacrifices? In other words, are you going to go call upon your God to protect you? Or is he going to come down and, and help you to complete this work in a day? The, the implication being, we're attacking tonight. You're going to finish today? We should also notice how Tobiah the Ammonite decides to answer these condescending questions. And if you would look with me again there at verse 3, here we learn that Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Wow. Even if a fox, a little bitty fox, crawls up on, on, their, on their wall, it'll crumble. Clearly, Tobiah and Samballot were attempting to discourage the Jews by assuring them that all of the work that they might accomplish won't endure. And in this way, he was just trying to convince them to give up. He was trying to convince them to give up. He was trying to get into their minds and simply put, the enemies of Israel, they were engaging in psychological warfare, which involves the planned use of propaganda intended to influence the opinions and the emotions and the attitudes and the behaviors of the opposition. In this way, Sambalat and Tobiah were attempting to win this battle by simply discouraging the people of God. They thought if we can just simply discourage them, then they'll stop building and then we won't have to even fight this fight. You might not know this, but the devil and his demons use very similar psychological tactics on us. That's right. The enemies of the church are constantly attempting to discourage us with unbiblical propaganda so that we might simply surrender to our sinful nature. And with that being the case, it's crucial for every Christian to remember that those who want to fight the good fight of faith, well, we must win the mental battle first. Well, we must fight that fight uh, for the thoughts that, that we entertain. We must protect our minds against those fiery darts that the enemy is constantly shooting at us so that we might think false thoughts. And I like the way that Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's there where he declares, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, listen, the the Lord has given us spiritual weapons which enable us to knock down the spiritual strongholds of unrighteous reasonings that the enemy uses, you know, to discourage the disciples of Christ. Yeah, the the devil and his demons, they want to come along and, and shoot off those fiery darts into our minds so that we believe, uh, start believing unrighteous reasonings. We start making excuses for why we shouldn't do what the Bible says. 
We start making uh, you know, uh, excuses for, for why that, that verse doesn't apply to us. Not only that, but Paul here informs us that, that we've also received these weapons that we need to destroy the false arguments that the enemy is using to lead us back into the bondage of sin. And, and so the enemy will come along and try to discourage us like Sam Ballard or Tobiah, try to convince us that we're too weak to live the Christian life or, or anything that we try to do for the Lord is just going to fall apart. And so why even try? And the enemy just fires off those, those, those false thoughts so that we might just give up. So, so that we might just throw in the towel and think, you know, there, there's, there's no way for me to live the Christian life, so why even try? With that being the case, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that the enemy is constantly engaging in psychological warfare. And the reason why is because they know that the Christian who will embrace their profane propaganda will simply surrender to their sinful desires and give up on the Christian life. That being the case, we should take some time to consider how Nehemiah helped the Jews to fight the good fight of faith against the enemies of Israel. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Nehemiah chapter 4. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 4. Here Nehemiah declares, Hear, O, o our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Now here in these verses, we learn about the way that Nehemiah helped the people of God to overcome these attacks of the enemy. And just to be clear about Nehemiah's approach here, well, I should take a moment to point out that Nehemiah could have arranged a meeting with the Samaritans and the Ammonites and the Arabs, and, and he could have sought to establish some sort of political peace treaty and, and so that they could try to secure their safety in some sort of political way here, but, but that's not where he begins. This, this wasn't his first step. No, instead, he sought the Lord. He might have arranged a, a demonstration of military might, remember, uh, there were Persian soldiers who had traveled with him all the way from Shushan. And he could have brought all of these soldiers forward and said, hey, you know, this is going to be a real battle because I've got all these guys, you've got your guys, let's, let's try to avoid this fight, right? No, but, but he didn't appeal to the soldiers who were with him. Nehemiah could have appealed to the orders of King Artaxerxes by insisting that, you know, the king of Persia was going to punish them for their insubordination, but he didn't. He didn't uh, appeal to an earthly king. Instead, Nehemiah responded to the threats of Israel's enemies by prayerfully appealing to the king of kings. And to the king of kings, he cried out for heavenly help. Notice again there in verse 4. Here again he declares, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. The very first thing that he does is to, to cry out to God Almighty. And when it comes to the weapons of our warfare, listen, the, the, the greatest weapon that we have is prayer. Prayer is the most powerful protection that we have against the enemy. And it's for this reason that Paul concluded his description of the spiritual armor that we've received by declaring this. He says that we should pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So, so there's the armor of God, praise the Lord for the armor of God, but then what do you do when you have the armor on? Pray. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
Those who want to stand strong in the power of the Lord's might as we take a stand against the enemy should spend more time praying for the supernatural strength that we need so that we can stand and fight the good fight of faith. With this in mind, I want to take a closer look at Nehemiah's prayer. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 4, here he declares, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Now listen, this is what we call an imprecatory prayer. In other words, Nehemiah was asking the Lord to destroy the enemies of Israel. Crush them, Lord. Send them away to captivity. He's praying this imprecatory prayer so that the Lord might destroy the enemies of Israel. And the reason why? They were determined to stop the people of God from reestablishing their roots right there in the land of promise. And listen, it's important to remember that this was all taking place before the arrival of the Messiah. What this means then is that Samballot and Tobiah were being used knowingly or unwittingly by Satan to stop our Savior from being born in Bethlehem. You see, if they could stop the Israelites from reestablishing their roots right there in the promised land, the, then the prophecy about the birth of, of the Messiah in Bethlehem would never come to pass. The prophecies you know, couldn't be fulfilled if the Jews weren't dwelling in their land. And it's very possible that this was Satan's plan here. If that's the case, then the imprecatory prayer of Nehemiah was completely justified. Destroy them, Lord. Get them out of the way so these prophecies can be fulfilled. From this, we can see then that there are times when it's proper to prayerfully ask the Lord to destroy his enemies. And I get it, you know, we want to be people of grace and we want to be people, you know, who promote forgiveness and, and walk, you know, in... in uh, uh, in, in the grace of God and, and, you know, Jesus himself told us to love our enemies. And we should. We should love our enemies and we should proclaim the gospel of grace. You know, but there are times when maybe it's justified to say, Lord, get them. Just get them out of the way, Lord, so that we can do your will. It's also important to understand that the spiritual discipline of prayer here will help the people of God to stop focusing on the attacks of the enemy by refocusing our attention back on the work that the Lord is calling us to accomplish. To explain my point, let's consider the way that Nehemiah's prayer helped the people to refocus their attention. If you would, let's pick up our study of Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 6. Here, Nehemiah writes, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now, what happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and uh, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being, uh, beginning to be closed, that they became very angry, <clears throat> and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night." Now here in these verses, we learn about the way in which the spiritual discipline of prayer, it actually helped the people to refocus their attention. And as a result, the, the Lord freed up their minds so that they could just focus on getting back to work. Christian, listen, those who are constantly focused on the attacks of the enemy, those who are looking for demons behind every tree and under every rock, 
You know, th- those who want to attribute every bad thing that happens in their life to the, de- the, the demons are after me, you know, and they're going to get me. And like, if that's always your focus, then you're always afraid. You're always afraid. When's the enemy going to get me next? When's the enemy going to attack me next? And it's just, you're constantly looking for demons. And if that's something you struggle with, I encourage you to pray more. Those who are constantly focused on the attacks of the enemy will end up allowing all of their worries to, to keep them from actually spending time serving our Savior. And, and, and the reason why is because, well, if I serve God, then the enemies are gonna, just going to attack me more. But the Christian who will engage in the spiritual discipline of prayer and, and place these things in the hands of the Lord and trust him for the outcome well, then he will help us to have that mind which is able to focus on the work that he's calling us to accomplish. Therefore, whenever we find ourselves filled with fear because we've allowed the the attacks of the enemy to distract us, uh, I just encourage you, let that become an indicator. Let that become an indicator that it's time to spend more time with the Lord in prayer. And, and, And in this way, we can prayerfully present our anxieties to the Lord and allow him to be God. Allow him to be in control of all of this as we remember that any spiritual attack that comes my way was first filtered through his loving grace and, and, and by his will. So, so what do I have to worry about then? We can cast our cares upon the Lord knowing that he cares for us and he will help us to refocus our faith so that we can then accomplish the good work that's in line with his will. And while prayer is necessary for keeping our minds focused, God's word is also necessary for strengthening our faith along the way. To make my case, let's pick up our study of Nehemiah chapter 4. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 10. Here we read, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, for from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And here in these verses, we find this man named Judah. He's sharing his concerns about the failing strength of those who were engaged in the labor And while I have no doubt that many of the workers were struggling to maintain their physical strength just because of uh, the sheer amount of work that was happening, uh, we can also be certain that the constant mocking of the Samaritan soldiers uh, was also sapping their strength. And then to hear that there's this entire military confederacy of all these different nations coming together to, to come in and kill them, I have no doubt that many were physically struggling because they were emotionally suffering. Then the Jews who were dwelling in the land surrounded Jerusalem and, and you know, the, the, those who were living in the outskirts of this region, they came in and they were constantly giving them bad news. Here we're told that they said, they, 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 they told them 10 times that the enemies are coming. And they assured them that no matter where they looked, there were soldiers of the enemies 
surrounding them uh, on every side. And, and as a result, you know, there were many who, who no longer had the strength to continue working. And the reason why is because they were suffering from anxiety and depression. You might not know this, but a constant consumption of bad news will always increase our anxieties, which you know causes distress and depression. And then, of course, distress and depression will rob us of physical strength. The mental state of those who are depressed and anxious results in, in a lack of physical strength. And it's sad that there are many who feel hopeless, even in the world that we live in now, as we look at everything bad and everything wrong that's happening, we feel hopeless. And, and, and I think that King Solomon describes it best in Proverbs chapter 13, where he declares, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Well, knowing that the people were allowing their anxieties to get the best of them, Nehemiah decided that it was time to refocus their faith by reminding them about the truth of God's word. Notice again, there in the middle of verse 14, there he declares, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Grasp that for a second. Do not be afraid of them. Who? The enemy. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Here in this verse, we find Nehemiah encouraging the hearts of his people. The people who are bringing in this constant barrage of bad news. He's saying, quit, quit listening to those guys. Listen to me. Remember the Lord. And he redirected their attention back to the truth of God's word. Notice again where he declares, remember the Lord, great and awesome. Now, this was probably an excerpt taken from Deuteronomy chapter 10. There in verse 17, Moses declares, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. I love that. From this, we can see that the servants of God have, have nothing to fear. And the reason why is because our God is the God of gods. Our God is the almighty, awesome God. And therefore, he has the power to accomplish his perfect plan. Sadly, we oftentimes forget this very simple truth. The reason why is because we start focusing our attention back on the attacks of the enemy, or we start embracing all the bad news that shows up on our social media feed. And before we know it, our anxieties begin to diminish our faith, which then in turn saps our spiritual strength so that we wake up in the morning, we don't even want to get out of bed. Why? Well, What's the point? It's all bad news anyway. If this sounds like your struggle, then I encourage you to remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10. There he declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Think about that for a moment. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in other words, it's the word of God that fills our hearts with the spiritual strength of faith that provides us with that hope that enables us to then move forward to accomplish God's will. It's the word of God that reminds us that, that we're not subject to the rulers of this world and, and we're not victims of the evil schemes of, of sinful people. The Lord our God is the God of gods. Is that enough? not enough encouragement for us? 
Our Lord is the Lord of lords, and he is great and mighty and awesome. Is he not already victorious? Has he not already conquered sin and death for us? And so why are we worried about the bad news? Why are we discouraged by the things happening in this world, knowing that the ministry of lawlessness has to occur so that the Antichrist can rise up and so that he can you know, rule over the earth for a few years and, and so that the second coming of Christ can occur? Why are we trying to stop that? Why are we trying to fight against that? Why are we worried about this when all these things have to come to pass so that Jesus can finally come back and establish his millennial kingdom? I find all this in the word of God very encouraging and it fills my heart with faith and gives me the the excitement as I look at what's happening in the world. The believer who will spend time studying God's word each and every day will then have the spiritual strength that we need to continue fighting the good fight of faith and the reason why is because it's the word of God that reminds us we are already victorious in Christ Jesus. Do you wake up every day defeated or do you wake up victorious? Do you wake up every day knowing that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus? Or do you wake up thinking it's all falling apart? Because if the latter is true of you, I encourage you to get back in the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And while it's true that the study of God's word will fill our hearts with a faith that strengthens our spiritual stance... It's also true that the word of God becomes for us a spiritual sword, which enables us to fight the good fight of faith. And to prove my point, let's continue to consider the way that Nehemiah helped his people to take a stand against the enemies of Israel. And so if you would look with me there at Nehemiah chapter 4, I want to pick up our study at verse 15. Here we learn that it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the the bows, uh, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Now here in these verses we find Nehemiah, he's encouraging those who were working on the wall, and he encouraged them to, uh, you know, to, to work strapped with a sword. You know, they, they needed to be strapped with a sword so they might be ready for any ambush attack. And not only that, but he also encouraged half of them to stand on guard while wearing a full suit of armor. And in this way, uh, they stood ready to repel the enemy while protecting those who were actually engaged in the construction. Now, as we consider the counsel of Nehemiah, I can't help but to remember the instructions that Paul presented in Ephesians chapter 6. There he declares, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, 
having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Much like Nehemiah, Paul here was encouraging every Christian to put on the full armor of God so that we might always be ready for the attacks of the enemy. And and listen, if you want to know more about each individual piece of armor that he lists here in this chapter, well, I encourage you to go listen to a series I taught some years ago. It's titled Winning the War Against Wickedness. It's on our website. You can listen to it for free. But I actually break down each piece of armor and help you to understand what it is and how we use it. It's a a, uh, wonderful study to to consider how to, uh, to use these different pieces of armor. But just for the sake of our study tonight, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Paul calls the sword of the spirit the word of God. Or in other words, he calls the word of God our sword. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. I like the way that Paul described it in Hebrews chapter 4. It's verse 12 where he informs us that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yeah, the, the, the sword of the Spirit is sharper than any natural blade. The Word of God is the powerful sword that, that we've been given, this, this weapon of our warfare, which enables us to defend the church and the believers around us as we continue to build up the body of Christ. And listen, much like a military sword, those who want to be proficient with the sword of the Spirit must take time to learn how to wield it. Uh, Listen, there's all kinds of swords, but imagine even right now if I handed you a a cutlass or a claymore or a katana, would you even know what to do with it or would you just cut yourself? Would you know what to do with a sword if I gave one to you? Chances are we wouldn't have the the skills to, to wield it with any real confidence, let alone take it and start fighting with it. No, if if you're going to be proficient with a real sword, you have to practice with it. You have to take some lessons. You have to learn how to use it. Sadly, the average Christian is just as clueless when it comes to handling the sword of the Spirit. I don't have time tonight to get into a whole study on biblical illiteracy in the modern church, and yet it's a huge issue. It's for this reason that we need to spend time with the Word of God, studying it, reading it, uh, you know, putting it into application, and, and, then, and le- then learning how to use it, especially in the context of evangelism. We have to take time to engage in evangelism so that we're forced to learn how to use the powerful weapon of God's Word. Christian, listen, in order for us to, to handle the sword of the Spirit with any confidence, We need to spend time using the sword of the Spirit as we share the good news of the gospel message with those who have yet to embrace our Savior, Jesus. And listen, as we learn how to share our faith from the Word of God in simple evangelistic endeavors, we're simultaneously learning how to defend ourselves and our fellowship of faith against the attacks of the enemy. With that being the case, I encourage every Christian, 
Get to know the, uh, the, the Word of God. You start using the Word of God in daily conversations, in, in any interaction. Just imagine how you might bring in the Word of God. And as you continue to learn how to use the Word of God, you become more proficient in using it against the attacks of the enemy. With this as the goal, we must not fail to grasp the the benefit of also belonging to a body of believers. And with this as the focus, let's turn our attention back to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you would, let's pick up our study beginning at verse 19. Here Nehemiah writes, Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brother, and my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. And that's really important to to know that. Here in the final verses of this chapter, we find Nehemiah presenting the people with a very simple strategy, which completely relied upon the clear communication of a connected community. As a matter of fact, the defensive strategy that Nehemiah was proposing here relied upon the clear communication of a trumpet sound, which would serve as a signal for the rest of the people. And so anybody on the wall that started sounding their trumpet, that was the signal to say, hey, we're getting attacked on this side. And then everybody was supposed to rally to to the trumpet sound so that they could work together to defeat the enemy, all the while knowing that in verse 20, Nehemiah says, our God will fight for us. I love that. At the same time, Nehemiah also encouraged them to establish a guard so that they might keep watchmen on the walls throughout the night. And in similar fashion, Peter and Paul also encouraged every Christian to become watchful believers. The reason why is because our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That being the case, Paul encouraged the Christians in Corinth. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where he says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. And to the Christians at the church in Thessalonica, Paul declares this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. In light of these encouragements, we must not fail to grasp the importance of becoming watchful believers who who are looking for the attacks of the enemy while focusing on God's plan to be watchful. And we need to then, in our watching, prepare to be helpers of those who are engaged in the fight. When we see the people around us fighting the good fight of faith, we ought to be coming alongside of them uh, with with an encouraging word from, from the Lord. Christian, listen, those who want to fight the good fight of faith should not only spend time praying, and we should not only spend time studying the Bible, learning how to use the sword of the Spirit, but we must also learn how to rely on one another as we work together to build up the body of Christ, knowing that God is the one who will fight for us. In this way, the Christian who is connected with their fellowship of faith will quickly receive the spiritual support that we need whenever we find ourselves enduring the attacks of the enemy. If you find yourself enduring an attack you know, from the enemy, sound the alarm, signal the trumpet. 
Look to the believers in your sphere of influence and, and here within your community uh, to come alongside of you and, and, and to help you to, to bear that burden in that period of time. Sadly, there are so many believers who just float from church to church or they choose to remain on the fringe of their own Christian community. And as a result, they don't have a spiritual support system to help them endure the attacks of the enemy. And if this sounds like your situation, I I just encourage you to consider the lesson that we learned from this chapter. And the lesson is simply this, that the people of God are able to repel the attacks of the enemy when we make sure that we spend time together serving our Savior side by side on the wall. We have to be serving side by side on, on, on the wall as we build up the body of Christ according to the word of God. And as we build up the body of Christ according to the word of God, we're also building up one another as we together learn how to fight the good fight of faith and all for the glory of God. Let's pray.